This is Leader ReadyCast, a monthly podcast featuring real-world lessons, best practices, and action-oriented insights for the you're-it moments when you're called upon to lead. Leader ReadyCast is the official podcast of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, a joint program of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard John F. Kennedy School of Government. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm your host, Eric McNulty. And this month on Leader ReadyCast, I'm joined by Dr. Leonard Marcus, my colleague and co-author. He's the founding co-director of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative here at Harvard. And he is co-author of You're It, Crisis, Change, and How to Lead When It Matters Most. We're going to discuss the book this month. It's just out from public affairs. If you want more information on it, you can find it at www.bit.ly forward slash Your It Book with no apostrophe. And it t- the book brings together 15 years of research that we've done here at the NPLI on crisis leadership. We've been with leaders in difficult situations, learned what works and what doesn't, and distilled that into a set of concepts, tools, and techniques that can be applied in many situations, both crisis and routine. So with that, let me welcome Lenny Marcus to the show. Hi, I'm Eric McNulty, Associate Director of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. I'm here with my colleague, Lenny Marcus. We're going to talk a bit about the new book, You're It. And my name is Lenny Marcus. I'm the co-director of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative and here looking forward to having a conversation about the content of the book with Eric McNulty. So, Lenny, we have the title, You're It. What, What does that phrase mean to you? There are two meanings uh, to the title, and they really reflect the two different meanings of the word you. You is in part singular, and it's also plural to talk about a group of people. So the singular means you as the leader are it. People are looking to you. You have the responsibility to lead. And in many ways, you're going to determine the course of what happens in whatever the event or change that you're dealing with. The other meaning of you is as a leader, you look out at the group of people who are looking to you for, for leadership, and you're helping to transform them into an effective group of people working toward common objectives together so that they can leverage uh, their connectivity of effort. And so the double meaning of you is being able to behave and act in appropriate ways together, uh, being able to understand the situation together, and then build that connectivity of effort that is a force multiplier for what you can accomplish as a leader. That's interesting. What I want to push another dimension of that phrase, which resonates with me, which Mm -hmm. is that if you want to be an effective leader, you have to realize that you are it. It has to be an active process, not a passive one. So you can't wait for your organization to hand you what you ought to know. Mm -hmm. You ought to be pursuing what are the experiences you need, what are the the education you need, what are the skills you need to build, and really own that. Uh, Because leadership is a big responsibility. And you have to do the same thing for the people around you, the people mm-hmm. who, who report to you, as well as your peers, help them to lead, develop as leaders. That's a big part of uh, this process, is not just being a leader, but building leadership capacity throughout the organization. And I think taking that responsibility is one of the key themes uh, of the book. Uh, that we're at a time right now where leaders have been walking from the responsibility, blaming problems on other people or other factors, um, being able to own that responsibility and then to have a group of people own that responsibility together is really one of the the key themes of what your it means. Absolutely, because it's nice to say you're a leader when times are good, Yes. but your real test is when, when times are tough. Exactly. Be it a crisis, be it a period of change, you've actually got to own it. It takes a lot of, it's a lot of responsibility. It takes a lot 
uh, of you as, as an individual to step up and own it. Mm-hmm. And without that, you'll be inauthentic and people will, will, will not follow you. Right, right. Now, one of the questions I get asked a lot, and I want to hear your response, is that uh, why crisis leadership? Why does crisis leadership seem to be so important right now? We're, we're at a time uh, now of, of tremendous change. Uh, we know that there are changes in our climate uh, causing new crises. Uh, there are changes in our global economic uh, condition that causing new crises, uh, changing demographics. We're at a time of tremendous turmoil um, around the world. And so for any leader, whether they're a leader of an emergency management organization, they're a leader of a company, um, their community leader, being able to um, be the you're at person uh, when that crisis arises, whether it's an active shooter, whether it's a financial collapse of a company, uh, whether it's a personnel crisis, being able to assume that responsibility is absolutely critical. And I think one of the things that we hear is that it's an absolutely essential skill for anyone who's in a leadership position, because you don't know when that moment is going to come. And that moment when it really matters most is when uh, the, the ideas and the practices that we talk about in the year at book are, are most most important. And one of the things I've picked up over not just the process of writing the book, but in all the years we've been in the field with leaders and been teaching people who, who lead in crisis situations, that fundamentally it's not a different set of skills. It's a set of core skills taken to a different level. And so that the things you do well in, in crisis response are the same kind of things, if you do them well every day, are gonna make you a powerful and effective leader. So high emotional intelligence, the ability to know how to make decisions, to be able to delegate, to be able to build trust-based relationships. Those are the kinds of things that serve you well every day, whether you're in a nonprofit organization, working for the government, or in the private sector, those are sort of core competencies. And what crisis brings out is how you bring it to the, the, that higher level. So just as a, a golfer, a weekend golfer, uses essentially the same equipment, plays by the same rules, sometimes walks the same courses as the professionals. But then when you see what someone like a Tiger Woods did at the Masters this year, you think, whoa, that was just completely different. Right. Um, but so it is the ability to practice things at a very different, at a much higher level. And crisis is that good hook to get in, get people in, understand that practice and begin to develop the competencies. You know, one of the things in writing the book together, there are four of us and each of us brought something different and the reader will see those different voices in the book. You were the one that really emphasized that it has to be for every day so that you can pivot really quickly in that moment of crisis. What does when it matters most mean for you in terms of outcomes and performance? You know, it's an interesting question because I think that um, when it matters most is often defined by the people you lead, Mm. not by the leader, him or herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's when they need you to create certain conditions, be it conditions to move quickly, make decisions. It may be creating the conditions to empower them and give them the freedom to go out and solve problems. Uh, it may be you who stands up to a stupid rule that came down from corporate or that uh, if somebody's being asked to do something unethical, that you're the one who stands up and sets the example. So that when it matters most, you know, we often think when lives are on the line, which certainly is the, the penultimate in terms of of external conditions, 
But for most of us, I think in those conditions, it, it's determined by, the, again, the people who are experiencing it and they're looking to, they're looking to you to lead to say, okay, we expect you to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And that's when it matters most. For you to be able to understand what, what you're needed to do, when you're needed to do it, and then being able to do it effectively. And that moment could come at any time uh, when you're leading. It doesn't have to be a mega stop the press crisis. It could be uh, something that emerges in the morning staff meeting. Um, and then you have to, in some ways, you're it. You have to stand up and be the leader. You know, part of what it matters most these days is that it seems in our environment, leaders are increasingly being asked to, to lead in, con in conditions which are fraught with moral or ethical choices. I mean, it's really challenging. How do you think about that? And what advice would you give to someone who's facing a really tough challenge like that? I think it's important for any leader to be true to him or herself because you will be in that leadership position temporarily. You might be in there for three or four years, it could be 10 years, whatever it is, but you will be your name, you will be Eric McNulty forever. So if you're in a leadership position and you're facing a moral dilemma, you not only have to ask yourself, well, what is my boss asking me to do that doesn't, in my mind, be uh, serve the, the overall purposes or I don't think it's morally or ethically correct. And so you have to ask yourself, how am I going to be true to myself? And if it does comply with your morals and ethics, or if it does uh, reflect something that you can stand up for, great. Uh, if you're asked, though, to do something that you found, find to be morally or ethically wrong, that's the moment that you ask that question, am I being true to myself? And um, hopefully, as you ponder that question, uh, in the short run and the long run, you'll do the right thing. You know, and I think that one of the most effective questions we ask people that helps them get to that moral center is, why do you lead? Hmm. And some people have a, <clears throat> an answer right away, and they can tell you because they like to fix things or they didn't have any money growing up and they wanted to lead a big corporation, whatever it happens to be. Other people, it really causes them to stop and ponder. And I think that question, again, when you get to that crossroads where you may have to make a moral or ethical choice to stop and ask yourself, why do you do this? Why do you lead? And I think very few people are going to say they lead in order to defraud consumers or mm. to put a defective product on the market um, or to have a community go into collapse um, and reminding yourself of why you do this. And if you're going to be true to that mission, that personal mission, uh, I think it makes it much clearer. And you may have to walk away from a job. You may have to go tell truth to power to your boss or uh, to the broader public. Uh, but again, that's what being a leader is about. It's being able to step up and take that tough assignment, make those tough choices, and then stand by them. Uh, I know that when we talk with our students about who, who was an inspiring leader they wanted to follow, it's often those characteristics of being able to make tough choices, being able to stand by their values and beliefs are things that ring out to people and they say, yeah, that's why I want to follow that person because he or she was really good in that moment. On our team, Eric, you're the one who's most social media savvy. How does social media and the fact that everything that any leader does right now could be on Twitter in a moment, um, so that what used to be able to be done in the back rooms all of a sudden is being done very much in public, how does that change the landscape for people who are leaders and how does your apply to that changed landscape? So there are a couple of ways that I see. One is that time certainly gets compressed. You don't have the time to go huddle with your people and develop a perfect statement. And what used to take hours, you now have to do in minutes, right. which again is where that moral clarity and the, the clarity of right. purpose and values for, the per for you individually as well as the organization rings true because when you're clear about that, you can move quickly and mm -hmm. say, we're gonna do right by whomever the effective party happens to be. Mm -hmm. um, 
But the other piece which makes it really complicated is you know, now almost everyone can see almost everything in almost real time. Mm -hmm. And we all carry around that pocket video uh, studio called a smartphone where you can shoot it, you can edit it, you can upload it. So you may say something that then gets taken out of context because someone's chopped a piece. Um, and I think that part of what you have there, your, com your composure and your, your self-knowledge, your self-awareness and your self-confidence has got to be that you're not afraid to speak. You know how to speak in ways that are uh, clear, direct, harder to be taken out of context when you're when you are doing that as opposed to trying to work in the perfect phrase your lawyers came up with. Mm -hmm. But you're being direct and you're being human. People respond to that. I think a great example there is uh, after the Southwest Airlines incident with the engine where the piece of the blade came through and, and unfortunately killed someone, uh, the video that Gary Kelly, the CEO, made. And they came right out. They wrote to customers right away. They took proactive action. They didn't wait for things to, to unfold and get reactive. They were very proactive. And then if you watch that video, and it's available online for anybody who wants to go find it, it's, uh, it comes across as very genuine, very empathetic and concerned. And you feel that, yes, something bad happened, and they're going to investigate it and figure out why. And they're going to do right by their customers, uh, whether they were, you know, this unfortunate woman who was killed obviously is the, the, the most injured there. But anyone who flies Southwest, I think, has com more confidence because of that response. And so social media gives you a way to amplify, gives you a way to get data in and get two-way communication going. But you also have to know how to, how to communicate in those, those short bites in ways that are authentic and genuine and get people where they are and not where you hope they're going to be. Well, that um, moment was the you're at time for Gary Kelly and Southwest. Yes. Um, and being able to reassure the public of their commitment to safety, their commitment to security, that was exactly the time when people needed to hear that. Not only uh, um, the general public, also their internal Southwest staff. He's leading a big company. I mean, that's Meta Leadership is looking down and looking Absolutely. out and beyond. Um, and one of the things we teach to our uh, graduate students is that as a leader, you're always on stage. Um, and, 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 and is social media part of what it means to be on stage now uh, for leaders um, given uh, the world we're living in? I think it does. I think that there's an expectation that, uh, and if the leader, him or herself, isn't particularly savvy, that they've got someone who is. You're, mm -hmm. Again, you're communicating with people using the channels they prefer in language that they can comprehend so they know what's happening. Mm -hmm. So it may be, you know, is it Twitter, is it Instagram, is it Facebook? All the, the platforms change and evolve constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is understanding, and, and I like to think of it as waves versus stream. So in the old school, you had to be ready for that 6 o'clock press conference or the have something that would appear in the morning paper, and you knew those deadlines, and you worked your cycle, and it was very much waves. You could see them coming, you could get on them, you could surf them, and that was the rhythm of your communications. Now it's a stream, and you've got to jump in. Hmm. Um, and I think it is, uh, it can be really challenging. Again, you know, we were talking about the airline business, but look back to the incident in United Airlines where the, page, the customer was dragged off the airplane after refusing to uh, give up his seat. Um, that would have been a local incident probably on page 18 of the Chicago Sun-Times uh, a few years ago. Now it was an instant viral sensation. Right. And, and frankly, the, United, the, the executive there, they were, they were slow to respond and slow to understand what it took to have uh, relevancy in that, in that environment. Um, and you, you've got to get fluid with it. And so when I know we talk to people, especially those who are more in our age bracket than younger people, 
who sort of say, I'm, you know, I can f not worry about that. It's like, no, actually, you, you may not want to spend a lot of time there, but you have to spend enough to know what's going on, to know what the environment is like, or have someone next to who you who you trust who can advise you. Because again, if you do it right, it gets amplified, it goes viral quickly, and you make a huge impact. If it goes wrong, the same thing happens, only the impact is negative. You know, one of the things we talk about in the book is time. It's not only what you do, it's when you do it. So if there is a crisis like that or any crisis that faces a leader, if you do it in the right amount of time, then you are helping people to effectively move forward. You could do the same thing, and if it's done maybe two or three days later or a week later, say exactly the same words. It's already too late. And so it's important for, for leaders, and that's part of the URIT theme, to understand this is the moment, um, you know, URIT. If you figure that out too late, um, then a bad situation, a crisis, uh, could actually get much worse because of what you did or didn't do. Absolutely. And, that, and in communications, you're always thinking about that narrative. What's the narrative of the event? What's the larger narrative of your company and your industry or your organization that you play into? And how is that, na that narrative going to affect how your message is received and how do you interact with it? Mm -hmm. um, and so that can greatly affect timing because if, you're, if you've built up a lot of trust, you will buy a little bit more time because mm -hmm. people will say, okay, we, we believe in, the, in that organization or those people. We know they're trying to get it right. And they give you, a, they're a little more patient. If they don't have so much trust, they want to know right away, what are you doing? Right. How are you doing it? What, how does it affect me? What, what's going to happen? There's a lot of pressure. And, and among the things that leaders create is that sense of trust. Yes. And if that's lost, you know, you have that you're at moment and uh, your followers lose that trust in you or they're waiting for something and you don't you know, step up and provide it to them, um, then you've lost one of the most important uh, values and currencies uh, of being a leader. Now, I think one of the pillars of your, your work personally that, that plays through the book as well and in our teaching uh, is a foundation in negotiation and conflict resolution, uh, which is yeah. a bit unusual for people who are in the leadership space. How did that work in negotiation and conflict resolution inform how you think about leadership and how you think about the skills leaders need today? Well, uh, a good question. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, as, as we've been studying leaders and leadership, um, uh, leaders are, are, are fundamentally complex problem solvers. Uh, and each of those words uh, is important. First, you have to understand the complexity. Um, and that resides in all of the people with whom you're working and making decisions. Uh, you do have a problem to solve. I mean, that's the moment where you stand up where you're at. You know, how are we going to solve this problem? And at the end of the day, you will be evaluated and assessed, and people will want to follow you if, in fact, whatever it is, you've been able to lead people towards a solution. So one of the, the elements and one of the fun things about writing the book is we introduced an idea, so complexity and complex problem solving, and then we became committed to if we're going to introduce that idea, we've got to give you a tool. So um, one of the chapters of the books is in the book is specifically about that. It's called the walk in the woods, and it's a very systematic process of interest-based negotiation. What are the self-interests of people around the table? What are the enlarged interests? Agreement, disagreement. Uh, how do you build new ideas into complex problem solving that might satisfy the needs of everyone around the table? And then how do you align the interests so that they can come up with a solution to whatever problem brought them together? So complex problem solving is absolutely critical in that you're it moment. And so therefore you need to be able to lead a group of people um, through the variations of interests and objectives and stakeholder 
experiences to get them to that solution. Which is why I still find it curious that leadership and negotiation are taught as separate subjects. You'll find separate books on them and separate courses on them. And I recall we had a conversation with uh, the CEO of one of large health system. And um, one of the things he said to us was that any interaction you have with, with another human being where there's a, a uh, intended outcome is essentially a negotiation. Right. So whether it's your subordinate, it's a board member, it's your wife, it's a patient, it's a, uh, a member of the media, whoever it is, you're negotiating all day long. And it may not be the give and take of you know dollars passing back and forth kind of negotiation, but it is negotiation because you are trying to figure out what do I want from you, what do you want from me, what do we want together, uh, and that's why as I got into this project you know, 11 years ago and began to learn about the Meta Leadership Model and about the walk, uh, it was so compelling to me that um, I think it's such an essential integration of what has been traditionally thought of as leadership and what has traditionally been thought of as negotiation and conflict resolution. Those skills actually belong together right. because you practice them all day, every day. Right. You know, we spend a lot of time in airports yes. uh, where we get to bump <laughs> into our former students, so people who've been exposed to the material. And um, I, you know, I'll often ask, so what is it that was among the more beneficial outcomes of your having been through the course or having read the book? And, and the interesting thing that people w will often say is I'm using all that you taught me in my work, and it's a, a tool set that I use uh, uh, to make it through the day at work, and they'll say, and I also use it at home. Um, that emotional intelligence and that getting out of the basement, you know, how to deal with that panic moment. And, and what people have said is, I'm better using it at work because I, I'm thinking about it always at home. And it becomes sort of a modus operandi because bottom line, we're problem solvers. And so the better we are as leaders in problem solving, the more, the more effective we can be in all aspects of our life. So this leads me to my next question, which is, how do you think organizations need to think differently about leadership development uh, given our current climate? We believe, so I think I speak for all of us, that um, everyone in an organization can be a leader. Everyone in that organization could feel like, you're it. I have a responsibility for whatever my job is, and my job is part of that bigger job that we're doing um, as an organization. And there's a classic story. Um, where someone asked uh, a maintenance person, a janitor in a hospital, well, what do you do? What, what's your job? And the response was, I save lives. That everyone who's part of an organization is contributing to the overall mission. And so if everyone feels like you're it, you know, if you don't wash the floors really well, another patient could come in here and they could get infected and they could die. Um, so that the leader um, gives and, or it passes along that sense of you're it, that sense of responsibility. And then the core ideas of, um, of how to assume that responsibility, which we, we talk about in, in terms of the practices of meta-leadership. And if that set of values and that set of methods and that thinking becomes part of the way the organization thinks and the way it performs, um, that could be more fulfilling for everyone. I like to say that what do leaders create? They create meaning. They create purpose, and you know we, you know we've studied these leaders, and the real meta leaders are able to share that sense of meaning and purpose with everyone in the organization. What, what, what does that what does that mean? And say say for you, it's um, I can I, th I think about this a lot, and there are a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one is that linguistically, uh, I think we should stop talking about 
executives as leaders automatically. Oh, yeah. I think that we, because as you said, anyone can be leading from where they are. Right. And so I, it really drives me crazy now when I hear someone say, oh, our, our leaders said, when they're referring to their executives, their management committee, whatever, call them that. But if you're leading, you get to be a leader. If you're not leading, I don't care what your role or rank is, you're not a leader. So when you talk about some bad leadership practices, well, it's maybe you're just not leading well. And so I like to pull those apart. It's really, really difficult to do because of the way our language is, is built. And we're so used to calling people as the top leaders by default. Um, and I don't think, I think would love to see organizations get away from that. Call them executives. That can make you very proud. You're a senior vice president or you're a CEO or whatever you happen to be. Be proud of that accomplishment. But the leading piece is behaviorally based. And mm -hmm. that you can do, as you say, the janitor can be a leader. That mid-level manager can be a leader. You have leaders throughout your organization. In fact, you need them. Mm -hmm. And how you build that leaderful organization is a critical challenge. Um, the second thing is I think we need to get less prescriptive in how we train leaders mm. in terms of telling them exactly what they need to know or what exact skills they need to build. Le leadership to me, leading people, means understanding people. Mm. What, they, what motivates them, what they're looking to get. Uh, you need to understand psychology, sociology, organizational behavior. It's a very generalist mm -hmm. actually mindset that, re that is, serves you well as a leader because you're asking a lot of questions. And so I think, yes, there may be some core things we want them to learn. We want them to read the book. Um, can't be shy about that. Um, there's some core things they want to know. But beyond that, get people excited and let them go learn what they need to learn. Mm -hmm. So don't ask that question of, well, how is that course in whatever, in, in neuroscience, relevant to your job? You may not know when you start, but I guarantee you, you'll know by the time you finish. Because when you learn, you build new patterns in your brain. And that's a lot of what complex problem solving is all about. A lot of understanding people from different cultures, as we get into more diverse, diverse workforce, is understanding more and more of these patterns and being able to make sense of the world. As you say, help give meaning to what you do. So don't organizations shouldn't limit themselves or the people in them in the kinds of experiences they pursue in trying to broaden their mind, in trying to adopt a real growth mindset, become real learners, become curious about the world. That's a big part of leading that we overlook. It's not just about the decision-making or just about the ability to be a good coach. Um, it's, it's about being savvy and smart about life and about yourself. Well, spoiler alert, um, um, uh, the, the definition of leadership in the book, which we talked about at great length, is people follow you. We think it's perhaps the shortest definition of leadership in the world. I think it may be. Um, and uh, we're not particularly uh, loyal to the ordering of the words. Uh, so that sometimes uh, the best of leadership is you follow people. Uh, there could be people in other organizations, your subordinates, uh, who have a good idea, who have a good way of going forward. And so you, as that executive, uh, maybe up here in the organization, are following people down here who are subject matter experts. Yes. And so... You know, that really builds upon um, everything that you've talked about in, term, uh, in terms of an open mind uh, about leadership. And, you know, people have asked, why such a short definition? And um, the premise is you, you begin with a simple definition upon which you build that complexity. And the people, of course, is what makes uh, leadership so complex. Um, the following is really the methodology uh, that we talk about. And at the end of the day, you're it. You know, if you're leading people in a great direction, then you can accomplish great things. If you're in that leader position and 
you, you haven't taken that responsibility. At the end of the day, it could be a, a, a bad outcome for which you really are responsible. What does people follow you mean to you? Um, I think it's, it's, it's really good as, as evidence. It's the only evidence of leadership that really matters. Because if you look over your shoulder and there's no one there, guess what? You're not leading. Right. When people are trying to work around you, you're not leading. Uh, and, and similarly, if people are looking to you and you're not doing the appropriate thing, you're not leading either. Um, so I think that rather than a, a big convoluted definition, those three simple words, and it focuses on people. People are complex. People are the challenging part of, of being a leader, but they're also the exciting part. Mm -hmm. It is getting to work with people, see them develop, see them accomplish great things. Uh, and I think that you know, seeing them succeed, even sometimes more than you do, mm. um, that's really a successful leader gets everyone else across the finish line first, and then they step across, right. uh, or as many people as possible. So I think that um, that people aspect, and we say this is the uh, – Leadership is the human factors in an organization. Mm. So it's not just about making the numbers, or that's important, or it's not just about getting the product out of the door, that's really important, but it is the human factors, and you've got to address that. Mm. Lenny, this has been great fun, and I think that uh, you're it, I'm it, we're it uh, as we go forward here, and I hope that people who are reading the book, using the book, uh, can step up and use the tools, fi find the, the stories interesting, find the tools useful, and go out and make the world a better place. And leadership can be a lot of fun. Yes. If you see it as a puzzle, um, if you see it for all of its complexity, the best of the leaders that we've studied and that we write about in the book are those who crave complexity. Absolutely. And, and being able to see the breadth of that puzzle and then finding ways to solve it is what can make leadership both very engaging and a lot of fun and uh, a real uh, contribution to those people who are looking to you as a leader. It's a great way to end. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. This has been another episode of Leader ReadyCast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead. <laughs>